0: Welcome to Posting Up, the Washington Post NBA podcast. I'm your host, Tim Bontemps, National NBA writer for the Washington Post. have a fun episode for you today um, on his drive over to uh, Oakland from his home in uh, the Sacramento area. To talk to USA Today's Sam Amick, good friend of mine and outstanding NBA reporter about a whole bunch of stuff. Um, touched on Demarcus Cousins and the Sacramento Kings at the beginning. Then we got us to talk about the Utah Jazz, the Warriors, uh, some Blake Griffin and the Clippers talk. Um, Thought a little, Draymond Green, some Thunder talk, some Thunder trade talk at the end. Um, covered a bunch of stuff. Uh, audio quality is a little spotty at times. I apologize. Sam was in the car, so um, sometimes it cut in and out. But it's a fun listen. Hope you guys enjoy it. Um, hope to have another podcast later in the week. I'm flying back to New York uh, tonight. This is Tuesday. It's going to post Wednesday morning. Um, so this conversation was Tuesday afternoon. But um, very excited to, to get back home for a little bit. Um, get to see. I uh, could see a couple games while I'm home, and then I'll be at Warriors-Cavs on Christmas Day. So I'm um, hoping to have a you know a, ga- a kind of a, spe- a game-specific pod previewing um, previewing Warriors-Cavs and, and maybe some of the other Christmas games. Uh, hopefully, they'll come Friday uh, for your weekend travel. But um, until then, uh, hope if I you know if for some reason that doesn't that doesn't launch, you know, hope everybody's a happy holiday. But um, in the uh, in the short term, uh, let's get you to this conversation with Sam uh, coming up right now. All right, Sam. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate you uh, killing time on your drive, even though I think I'm probably doing you more of a favor than uh, than you're doing me. So thank you for that. Um, uh, we're gonna be we're gonna be a Warriors Jazz tonight, which we'll get to in a bit. But let's start with uh, your favorite subject, which is your hometown, Sacramento Kings. Um, for those of you who don't know, Sam uh, lives in Sacramento. though I'm sure anyone who listens to this podcast knows that he does, given. How much he's followed the Kings over the years, and obviously, the latest issues with Demarcus Cousins have surfaced this week. Uh, DeMar- the, there was video of Demarcus uh, laying into uh, one of Sam's former colleagues, Andy Ferillo, at the B Sacramento Bee, uh, over a column that Andy wrote, uh, where he referenced uh, Demarcus's brother uh, Jaleel, who was in a bar fight back in uh, back in the spring that Demarcus was in the in the bar for at the same time. Um, you know, Demar that came out today, Demarcus got five fifty thousand dollars by the Kings as uh punishment for that. Um this is you know, this is one of a series of incidences like this that's happened with Demarcus over the over the last year or so. I've been I've been in i I was present for another one involving a blogger and there's been others. So um I guess Sam, from uh I, from your perspective, what do you uh what do you think about uh the the fine and uh and about just kind of the way this whole situation has played out first of all
1: mr bontemps uh i love that you are going to the, the carpool podcast thing this actually like your version
0: of let me let me I'll, i don't mean to cut you off but literally as as you're driving uh has just put out a statement through the kings so let me uh let, what me, is let me read the statement yeah. then you can respond to everything sure uh There is a time, place, and manner to say everything, and I chose the wrong ones. Like most people, I am fiercely protective of my friends and family, and I let my emotions get the best of me in this situation. I understand my actions were inexcusable, and I commit to upholding the professional standards of the Kings and the NBA. I apologize to my teammates, fans, and the Kings organization for my behavior and the ensuing distraction, and look forward to moving on and focusing on basketball.
1: So yeah, I mean, it's a with good that, statement.
0: With that introduction, now you can give your thoughts on everything, including that. Well,
1: first of all, uh, and I've been driving a little bit here, did I miss, did somebody report, it sounds like, on the actual
0: uh, amount of the fine you said $50,000? Somebody, somebody reported it earlier. While you are talking, I will look up who it is to get proper credit. But I, I saw okay. this referenced on, on the uh, the interwebs that it was $50,000.
1: Uh, I mean, I'm a little off the fence about that. It's a, that's a legitimate amount of money for a guy who makes the kind of money that he, sure. That's more than on.
0: I thought. I thought it was going to be 10 or 15. So I mean, that's, that's a legit, right.
1: Mark. Right. Um, I mean, it's funny because I try. I'm going to sell like the old man here. And you know, I always gripe about that these days cause we're good friends, but like I try to understand people as best I can and all sides of this stuff. So
0: the Bill, part of his Bill Lindelof from the B said it was $50,000.
1: Okay. Got it. Um, You know, the side of this that that he mentions in the statement being fiercely protective of family and friends, I respect the heck out of that. I just don't agree when it comes to the specifics of this particular situation. Um, And the idea that, you know, I, I thought anybody who read the column that Andy wrote on DeMarcus, it was there was nothing salacious about the mention of his brother. It was very relevant context. It was nothing personal, nothing
0: and, and can can you, really, and for people who don't know, not to interrupt, but can you kind of fill in the the, the, the context of the column itself? That kind yeah, of started like this just, whole thing.
1: He he wrote a column that, that basically the headline and the message of the column was, you know, that Demarcus and Matt should find better spots to hang out on the road. And that's whatever it is, what it is, that's fine. Well, and that and,
0: and that for people who don't know, just refers to the the recent incident that Demarcus and uh, Matt Barnes were at a Matt Barnes, at a nightclub right. in New York, and there was you know there's some yeah, allegations of. Things that took place, and there's civil civil litigation pending, and there, there's all. Kinds I mean, of stuff bottom going
1: line, like they got in a fight at a New York nightclub, and it remains to be seen, you know, the specifics of the fight, but they right. definitely got in a fight, right? Um, and also, then the other situation that was back in May that you referenced, and Jaleel Demarcus's brother and Demarcus are at a, a joint in uh, Tampa, Florida, and Jaleel gets into a fight. I mean, he throws some big time haymakers. TMZ had video. But um, so I'm going to take this from from two sides. For one, now listen, bottom line, I mean, he screwed up here big time with the media. He cannot lose his top like this. I'm obviously a staunch advocate of the B Ferrillo side, the media side. And by the way, like you alluded to, this is not the first time. It's happened several times this year with other people. Right. But the part I'm trying to be slightly sympathetic to with the markets is I went back today and I watched the video of what happened in Tampa and... This is, not, this is in the category of not even coming within a million miles of excusing what DeMarcus did, but trying to understand and explain, perhaps, is that if you go watch that video, Jaleel, now, granted, he's in a fight and the cops are trying to get control of the situation, but he gets tased in a pretty, like a pretty violent way. And he gets tased and he's on the ground. And so the more I looked at it, I said, you know what, man? I mean, think what you want of DeMarcus. Um, that's his brother, and and so it, it, I think one thing that you know probably fed you know led to him losing his top was that I think it's fair if if you're sitting there watching your brother get tased. I mean, there have been tasing situations gone wrong, where you know where the taser ends up actually killing the person, and and so you know that that's one part of it where it doesn't justify anything he did, but that I think that was probably a traumatic thing for him to see that night. Now Demarcus wasn't involved in the fight, but. For, for Andy's purposes in the column, like it's, that's relevant that, that twice in a matter of months, there's been a incident at a place where DeMarcus was. Um, so he was, you know, he was out of line for losing it. And just in general in big picture, he's just got to find a way to, to not run so hot or to find a way to communicate. He's never been able to, I mean, he and I used to get along great and, and we kind of avoid each other now to be totally honest with you, because he's tough. And, uh, you can't really write much about him objectively without having it get under his skin and then dealing with different versions of this kind of thing.
0: Yeah, I mean, to, to be fully transparent, because this we had this conversation before before this started, I, I don't know really that anybody came out of this looking great. I agree with basically everything you said about DeMarcus. Um, I thought Andy's column was fine, uh, in the like you said, in the context of how he wrote it. I thought that uh, the B showing the video of it online was perfectly fine and reasonable given uh, the situation. They they also ran a giant editorial later that I kind of thought was a little bit of grandstanding, in my opinion. Um, And then there's also, you know, a a large segment of the fan base in Sacramento that tends to put its heads in the sands collectively when it comes to anything that has to do with DeMarcus. And, you know, there's kind of this... uh, there's kind of this grouping that's either in Sacramento, it's either entirely the organization's fault or it's entirely DeMarcus's fault and kind of on everything. And I I think it's part of, part of the reason why things are so dysfunctional there and have been for so long is that it has just kind of there. Everyone is always kind of looking for someone else to blame, um, which, you know, which is partly why that situation has gotten so ugly. But, um, just in a in a wider context with the Kings overall, like, you know, they are, you know, what 11 and 16, I think. I'm looking up their record right now. Uh, they're 10 and 17, so they're, you know, they are a few games. They're they're two games out of the last spot in the in the West. Uh, but I think most people would think they're probably not going to make the playoffs. Um, you know, they're on their their latest coach and Dave Yeager. DeMarc says a year and a half left on his deal. Just to, as a guy who's around that team all the time. Um, what do you what do you kind of see as the state of the franchise at the moment and you know do you do you expect any kind of significant changes between now and the end of the season or do you think it's more likely that they kind of ride this out and see how the year goes and then you know try to address you know maybe trying to extend to Marcus this summer and then maybe doing something if he doesn't want to do that
1: honestly I don't know what direction it's going to go they're they're in the tough spot yet again of being just close enough to the postseason where it might skew their view of the DeMarcus situation and what's best for the franchise long term might take a backseat to their thirst and their lust for trying to get back into the playoffs I mean I've never seen I'm not even trying to be condescending or disparaging but I, I've never seen the pro sports franchise be so focused on getting the last playoff berth and <laughs> that's right you know th- that's where they're at they have a new arena obviously and it's it's fantastic very nice arena applaud all involved yeah for for getting it done the sad thing is and it's funny because i'm not actually around the kings that much anymore and you know that i'm doing a lot of warrior stuff not as much as you but but you know where i get the pulse even more is the man on the street stuff i've got a neighbor john who i keep referencing in radio interviews because he's like my voice of the people <laughs> right who you know whenever john wants to tr- come over and drink in the am hours that's a bad sign the k- <laughs> kings kings are not playing well um, and the man on the street is is getting fed up in a major way and certainly the season ticket holders and and the, the fact that the new mantra in a super sarcastic way has become well at least the arena's nice you know like that's that's not a good place to be. And, um, you know, people are are tired of the negativity. But as far as your question of what might happen, you know, I don't think anything's going to happen until we get closer to the deadline, if anything at all. I did poke around a little bit yesterday to get a sense of things. And, you know, there's teams, legitimately teams out there that are internally weighing the cousin situation. And some people in the room are saying, let's do it. Obviously, they don't want to give up too much. Um, This is always a little bit. Kind of uh, you know a moving target and tough to quantify, but the, the word around the league, and that's that just kind of is what it is. This is front offices and what they're sharing with each other is that you know maybe before it would have taken you two young players and a first round draft pick to get to Marcus. You know now people feel like maybe it's just two players and maybe you don't even need to give the pickup anymore because of how things have you know how bad things have gotten. And, and the Kings are the ones to you know decide that. Right. You know, we'll see if, if that bears out. But um, nothing hot and heavy at the moment. It's it's just a, a thing where, I, you know, listen, Next couple weeks are going to be very interesting with Demarcus and the, the team. He has never reacted well to, and I'm just trying to like characterize this the way he might see it to being put in his place. Right. If that makes sense. Yep. Um, I mean, that's if kind of forgets, part of
0: the that's kind of part of the problem in Sacramento, right? It's it like I'm not excusing Demarcus for this happening, but this thing with Andy. Well, like, part of the reason this has led up to this is because he's kind of been allowed to do whatever he wants. And so DeMarcus... I know, but it didn't work the other way either. No, but I... No, like, but no, no, no. Like, I'm the, not, I'm first, not, like we, rookie year. No, didn't, I hear you. We didn't we didn't let me finish. All I was trying to say was that DeMarcus is a pretty savvy guy in that he knows what he can get away with. And, yeah. like, if, if he was in an organization where they put the kibosh on this stuff, he probably wouldn't do it. But because he's been in a place where he's kind of had free reign to act as he pleases, that, like it, this is kind of built up to this moment we're in now. At least in my opinion, I agree.
1: Now, two quick things. For one, and I say this respectfully, and it's safe enough because I'm not going to name any names. But there have been colleagues who I love dearly and respect. You're you're not. This is not a veiled shot of you. This is nothing <laughs> to do with Tim, on Tim But who have who have made comments publicly about this situation, like essentially get over it. Athletes yell and at reporters all the time. I would remind folks to think about some of the long in the tooth coaches who have come through Sacramento who have left town telling tales of things that were well beyond normal NBA behavior. And I'm talking about Paul Westfall who put out and this is not like, hey, I'm not propping Paul Westfall up as some <laughs> fantastic coach but Paul, my God, if you remember, he put out his own statement yes. admonishing Cousins that was not even approved by ownership. He was so hell bent on telling the world what he was dealing with internally. A legendary he,
0: move by Paul Westfall. Yes. I'm <laughs> the ne- only legendary forget, part about his Sacramento tenure, but it was a I legendary part. I will never part.
1: forget. I'm, uh, this storytelling time I'm in LA and this story breaks and I had gone to a, uh, I forget the name of it. There's a suit shop in LA that the one and only Scott Howard Cooper had recommended me to like a, you know, high-end in terms of the kinds of suits you can get, but low price. So I'm at this suit shop in downtown L.A., and next thing you know, I'm on the phone with Joe Maloof, asking him directly, did you guys know that Paul Westfall was going to put a statement out killing your franchise centerpiece player? And he had no clue, none. <laughs> so, like, this stuff has never been normal. He, he just obliterated Paul when he was there, and they were at odds. And Paul and Jeff Petrie they took the tough love road from day one and it didn't work. Um, you right. know, so that didn't, you know, that hasn't worked. The other way hasn't worked. I don't know what the heck the answer is, but the, the stuff that, you know, it does get into my skin a little bit when people act like this is just uh, you know, run of the mill type stuff.
0: Yeah. And I, and I think to, 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 to be fair to some of the people who have said that, I, I think I, I know some people have kind of talked about the, the fact that uh demarcus yelled at a reporter like i like i've heard it said i don't i don't know which people you're referring to i'm not asking you to say but like some of that might also just be people trying to explain like this does happen sometimes like sure in in the job like i you have been yelled at by players i'm sure i've been yelled at by players like if you're doing your job properly at some point you're going to write something that people aren't going to like and they're going to react negatively like that's just i'm still i'm still convinced that uh
1: I'm convinced that Bonzi Wells threw a ball at me, but I can't
0: prove <laughs> it. <laughs> well, given it's that it's Bonzi Wells, that is possible. Now, we've probably spent more time on the Kings than, uh, than we should on a, on a national podcast, given their overall relevance. But when you when you talk about the next couple weeks, I pull up their schedule quick. Here are their next eight games. Home for Portland tonight, Tuesday. This is going to come out Wednesday morning, so that game will be played. But home for Portland tonight, at Utah on Wednesday, at Minnesota Friday, Home for Philly Monday, at Portland Wednesday, um, on New Year's Eve, they're at they're home for Memphis. Then they have Denver and Miami after the New Year. That's a pretty pivotal eight games for them, I think. Like to me, yeah. if they if they can go five and three in those eight games, they can keep themselves in the race and I think make make things a little interesting, maybe. But if they go, even if they go four and four, if they go four and four or worse in that stretch. Um, I think they're in trouble because after that they got the Clippers, the Warriors. They play the Cavs. They play the Thunder. They got the Bulls. They're going along. They go on looks like a ten game road trip. They go a nine game road trip to end uh, eight or nine game road trip to end January on the East Dear Coast. Lord,
1: wait a minute, Do you have that in front of you. I want to, let's get what, what number is it? How it's eight, It's
0: eight games: Memphis, Chicago, Jeez. Detroit, Cleveland, Indiana, Charlotte, Philly, and Houston. So, like, they've got a. I think they've got to make hay on this week on this schedule right here. They played Portland twice. Portland is in the eighth spot. Um, you know they gotta they gotta pick up some wins here, I think, or else. You know even if they are kind of on the fringes, um, if they get to that if they get to that stretch at the end of January and they're, you know they're they haven't really made up any ground or have lost some ground, I think they're going to fall out of the race really fast.
1: I think you're on to a new motto. I think we got it. It's it's no more haymakers. Time to make hay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, we I think we can move on from uh, I think we can move on from there. That's a good ending point with the uh, with the Kings. Uh, you, I mentioned it earlier. We're both going to be at Warriors. Uh, we're going to be at Warriors Jazz tonight. Um, since that game is tonight, let's kind of talk in bigger picture about both teams. Um, let's start with Utah. You were in Utah last week. Uh, as part of your time with the Russell Westbrook experience, which we'll also get to later. Um, the, I, you know, I, I really wanted to see the Jazz. Uh, I, was, I was in Utah also recently to see, uh, to see the Jazz play the Warriors. Unfortunately, half their team missed the game. And uh, tonight, George Hill and, and Derek Favors both are going to play. Um, you know, these guys have been banged up all year but have still managed to play pretty well. What, what is kind of your assessment right now of, uh, of Utah in the bigger picture of things?
1: Hey, I'm going to turn around right now. I didn't know George and Derek weren't
0: playing. <laughs> Jeez, George is out. George is out for a while. In favor, I knew George was out. Favors, favors—they're holding out to actually play against the Kings tomorrow, which is um, part of a trend that we have seen over and over this year, which is that teams, if they have the option, are sitting guys against Golden State to basically punt the game. Which, well, as, is a, smart. as a side note, as
1: we move on, uh, that Kings-Jazz game will be fun because. DeMarcus has always taken it extremely personally that favors got drafted above him. So keep Yes, he has. There. By the Nets yeah.
0: in 2010. Right. Um, imagine, so DeMarcus jazz, in, imagine DeMarcus in New York.
1: Well, again, we're moving on, but I was <laughs> going to ask you that. Like, the, the whole Sacramento thing is, like, put him in New York and, and where he has five different versions of this same dynamic with media members and see how that goes. Uh,
0: I, think in a, so, I think in a situation like that, he either would have – honestly, I think he either would have – uh, adjusted to it, or he would have been traded long ago because, like, it just right. wouldn't have it wouldn't have worked. And I don't know which way it would right. go. Like, I'll be curious to see if he ends up in a market like that, how it would go. Um, because well,
1: exposure it, is a big thing. Like you mentioned the video, and that's how our culture is in general. I hate to say it, but people don't take anything seriously until it's on video. Yeah, um, that's true. I mean, you know, not to get down a dark road, but even like the Kevin Johnson situation in Sacramento, that when Deadspin came out and, and wrote about his. His Phoenix situation so many years ago? Like that stuff was all public info, but not until there was a videotape of him, of, of the, you know, the interviews with, with young women. Like yeah.
0: people don't believe anything. The, the Joe Mixon and, and Ray Rice videos are also uh, they're also proof of that. You know, it's a different sport, right. but whenever you whenever you get video involved, or the even the to get to the election, even the Donald Trump video, like that, right. like you know, that ended up not changing the outcome in the end. But but all that stuff, you know, all that stuff was out there about Trump for years, but it was. Is when you when you saw a video that that changed. So, um, right,
1: absolutely. So yeah. Utah Jazz, uh, really good squad. It was fun to see them do their thing, and more poignantly to see their fan base and how thirsty they are for the team to be relevant again. I did this video that to me, you know, I mean, I, I put it together after the game when they took care of the Thunder, and wasn't really anything outside the box in it, and it ended up doing pretty well. And it was kind of funny just in terms of feedback, and it was like. All these jazz fans just really fired up that any national writer would talk about their team. And, you know, Zach Lowe was in town recently talking about their situation for ESPN and, and they're relevant. I mean, they're deep. And even with these injuries, that's the incredible part that they've been winning like they have with George Hill out with no Alec Burks, with, uh, you know, Derek favors only having come back recently. So they play fantastic D with Mr. Rudy Gobert in the middle and, Confidence, clearly, not a problem, since he called himself the best big man in the game recently. And then Gordon Hayward, I think, playing All Star caliber on the other end, and, and really on both ends of the
0: floor. So they're they're a tough a tough squad. Here is my problem with Utah. And it, I shouldn't say it's a problem. I wrote about them last week too. After I was after I was there for the uh, for the uh, the Warrior game. Where do they rank in the West for you?
1: Um, like six to eight.
0: Okay, like I think they're probably the fifteen. I think they're probably okay. number five, maybe okay. maybe number four. Um, so. Well, let me
1: back up because you know what, that was top of my head. I mean, listen, they're as you know, you're talking about a number two defense, I believe, at the moment. Yep. And and and, and a top ten offense. So the numbers, I'm just, I find myself just not one to fully buy in because it's been so long since we. Talked about the Jazz like this, but but I mean they have the potential, and that I think like on that video I said they could be elite, potentially. They're currently second in
0: offense and seventh or seventh in offense and second in defense.
1: Yeah, so I mean they're you know they could I think maybe push for home court be somewhere in there.
0: Well, here here's the problem that I have with them. I agree with you. I think they're somewhere in the three to five range. I think in the regular season, the Warriors are gonna have the best record. The Spurs are gonna have second best record. And then uh, Houston, the Clippers, and Utah are gonna be three to five.
1: Man, no um, Memphis. Love. All
0: right. I think Memphis is good. I just I think they, they're just they just have too many injuries in their benches too weak. Like I, I just don't think over the course of a season, you know, maybe they'll just keep grinding out these close wins, but I think over time, they're probably gonna end up being sixth. Um, but okay. I think they're clearly sixth. But my point is, Utah's kind of at a, a real pivot point, and this is what I wrote about. It's like Let's say they finish 5th Let's say they play Houston in the first round. Really good team. Um, Or even the Clippers. Let's say they play the Clippers in the first round. Um, Because the Clippers are actually, I think the Clippers are probably going to finish fourth now because Blake's out for six weeks. So if if they play the Clippers in the first round and lose, you know, Gordon Hayward has been in the league seven years. He'll have made the playoffs twice. He'll have won. If they win playoff games this year, it'll be the first time he's ever won a playoff game. And they'll have never got out of the first round. So if you're Gordon Hayward, are you ready to commit to sign up for another five years to play in Utah? Or are you going to go somewhere else? And if he goes somewhere else, all of a sudden, they've spent five years building this team. And then they're almost back to square one again. And it, it's 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 just kind of, to me, it's just kind of a fascinating position for them to be in. That In many ways, they're almost like the position the Clippers are in, except... Unlike the Clippers who've kind of been at the same level this whole time, Utah's been kind of slowly, methodically building through the draft, getting all these guys. And you're right, they've got a really nice team. A lot of interesting players, guys like Trey Lyles, who's coming on in his second season, like they're deep all over the place. Rodney um, Rod- Hood. Rodney Hood is awesome. Like they have got a really good team. But I-, I do just kind of wonder what happens if they can't like if they get if they win a playoff series this year, like say they get the fourth seed, they win a playoff series, and they give, you know, win a game or two off the Warriors. Then I think it's a much different situation. Then you can see you're really going somewhere. But if you get in the playoffs finally after years of coming up just short, and then you don't get out of the first round, like I just it'll just be really fascinating to see how their summer goes then, and uh, and if they if they don't have to kind of you know reset things, which would, which for me it would be unfortunate because you know to your point that's a that's a great fan base there, and it's a really fun interesting team. I think Quinn Snyder's a really good coach, and. You know, it is just kind of funny that just as it seems like things are going on the rise for them, it's like they all they could really find themselves at a do-or-die situation this spring where they really need to to prove that they, they can take that next step all at once.
1: No, I agree with all that. That's all fair. Uh, I think it, it's kind of like, I believe it was Quinn Snyder who told Zach in that piece that Zach did that they were hoping to have answers to a lot of their questions by now, and unfortunately they're still having to get questions answered at this late stage as certain guys' contracts are coming up. And the one thing you didn't mention that is front and center is George Hill. And the fact that as great as he's been when he was on the floor for them, they did that deal with him. I've had some other executives tell me that, you know, they love George Hill in Utah. They're just surprised that that they didn't find a way to have that trade involve an extension. And now, you know, now they run the risk of losing George this summer. The Gordon thing context, I think, is probably worth mentioning that, He's having a good time now, but when he was a restricted free agent, you know, and this is... He had to go shop for an offer. Yeah, and I wasn't just, this was, I didn't have a 30,000 foot view. I was maybe about 10,000 feet. I wasn't, I wasn't a thousand feet like the beat writers, but I was on it closely. and, And the real, you know, strong sense I got is that Gordon wasn't, you know, he was just fine leaving Utah. He was excited about Charlotte and what was going on out there. I remember he met with Michael Jordan. He thought that was... Inspirational stop. He was he was, and, he
0: was he was about to be flown on a private jet to Cleveland to be uh, to be the right, to be their right. thing before LeBron called Dan Gilbert and said, "Hey, I want to talk." And Then Dan, Gilbert, okay. Dan yep. Gilbert shifted gears. Uh, no, he that, that was you know that was a situation where you know this wouldn't be um, this wouldn't be a, a, a an issue right now if the Jazz had just offered him a full max back then, but he signed a three year yeah. deal. As part of that, for instance he signed a three-year deal with a player option for a fourth year, and, and he's vastly underpaid now. And it, you know, if, the funny thing, you know, it's kind of interesting with the new CBA. There was a lot of talk about um, this designated player rule, and one of the first things that brought up was, well, guys like Gordon Hayward will be able to stay in Utah. And what we've quickly, quickly realized about that rule is that it's only going to apply to the very elite of guys. Like, basically like kevin duran last summer and so i got like courtney when unless he makes it all the a team this year which for as well as he's playing and he might be playing as an, like an all-star this year uh, he's not making it all the a team barring something crazy happening right um he's not right. going to qualify for that rule so they utah won't have really they won't have any more of an advantage than the thunder did last year um which right. is just kind of an interesting subtext of all this
1: I agree. I agree, but it's still a, it's an okay spot to be in. I mean, a lot of uncertainty, but considering we pivoted off the Kings and their situation, and again, I'm not even being funny there, but like the Kings are facing the end of DeMarcus Cousins contract, and they have literally nothing good to show for it.
0: Right, they and, haven't even made the playoffs and aren't and don't have anything Yeah, they it. haven't even...
1: No, I mean, I, and I keep looking at it. I think it's like a, a 34% win percentage since he got drafted, so yeah. it's been brutal, and you know Utah, I think they've they've done enough. You have to imagine for guys like Gordon to think long and hard about the you know the positive momentum they have going, the structure organizationally, and the fact that with Dennis Lindsay and Quinn Snyder and those you know those are respected and who do a really nice job and they have a good culture and good ownership and so those things matter. We'll we'll see what happens though.
0: Yeah, no, they're they're going to be they're going to be very interesting. Now, now, Golden State, you know, going into the nice games, twenty four and four. Um, you know, rolling along, I think mostly playing the way that we expected they would kind of from the jump, um, even, even as they're kind of in cruise control, they're on pace to win 70 games or close to it. Um, what, what has been kind of your, I remember
1: if, when 60 was,
0: I know, right? I know. Right. It's, uh, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty crazy. What, the 70? That's something else. What, what is, right. uh, what is your, um, what is your assessment of these guys uh, as, You know, as we're a couple months into this?
1: I mean, it's a fun story to cover just because of how different it
0: is. It, I mean,
1: if they had not gone out and got Durant, they just rolled the ball out again with the same group, You know, they would have been plenty entertaining basketball-wise, but the storylines would not have been as compelling. And we've had stuff to talk about and write about all year because this is a new cast of characters. And so my takeaway here in mid-December, late-December – is that they, uh, they're they just doing a pretty incredible job of putting all these pieces together. The, the defensive improvement, I think more than anything, has been pretty astounding when they go from, you know, essentially 20th in the league not too long ago, early on in the season in defensive rating, the loss of Andrew Bogut seeming to be a huge deal. And then Draymond Green gets all fired up like, you know, everybody thinks they can't defend anymore. And, and they've prioritized that end of the floor. Kevin Durant is helping as a rim protector draymond i think by a decent margin is your defensive player of the year front runner at the moment i know you're a huge Kawhi guy so maybe you're gonna argue no, with me he, on that gonna, one I,
0: yeah. I think unless he gets hurt he's winning the award this year i mean you can you can i mean it's it's not like the choice between those two guys has been uh has been very different the last couple of years and uh you know with the way draymond's playing and everything else that's gone on in, in golden state it's it's a pretty obvious call at this point for me So,
1: I mean, Draymond gets mad, thinks the world is doubting their defense, and it's gotten so much better since. I think, you know, him being kind of the driving force behind that is going to play a major part in him winning defensive player of the year if they end up defending like this until the end of the season. So that's my biggest takeaway. You knew they were going to be nothing but fireworks on the offensive end, and that's what they've been. What's crazy is that I, I still can't believe they're only second in the league in terms of offensive rating with you know the Raptors are just off the charts but they're, they're going to outscore you the Warriors are but they're defending too so you know my thing going into this Christmas Day game and the Cavs Warriors conversation that we've been having all year and they're going to continue to have is that that you know we learned last year what happens in December doesn't matter at all so that's the the disclaimer but right now I mean the Cavs I think have like the 15th best defense in the league and. And there's more holes in what they have going than there are for the Warriors
0: right now, I think. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, I, I frankly I think all this talk about their defense is kind of comical. Um people Which teams? The no, Warriors the Warriors. Yeah. Not not yeah. that their defense, not the not the fact that their defense has gotten a lot better, but I think like I was saying this pretty consistently back all the way at the beginning of the season. Like their defense was always going to get better. They they, they changed out really significant pieces and had to get used to like Andrew Bogan and and Harrison Barnes were part of the league's best defense, basically. Right. And, you know, taking out those two guys or replacing them with two new guys was always going to need some time for adjustment. Uh, And once they got adjusted to it, now, shockingly, their defense is a lot better. Um, You know, I, you know, the the fact that Draymond has been on a string lately of getting wound up about absolutely ridiculous, (laughs) innocuous comments. Uh, Like, for instance, I was standing there when Chris S. Porzingis was talking about him. Right. Uh, and he basically said, Draymond obliterated me last year, and I hope this time I'm going to be better. Uh, and that turned into, he, you know, disrespected me, you know. But, again, that's, if you go back over the course of history, any of these guys that are huge competitors find ways to uh, to get get themselves riled up. But, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, the, the, the Cavs, you know, the Cavs have been very good, um, but I, I think... You know, after a hot start, I think what we've seen from Cleveland, and you're right, they have right about the fifteenth best defense in the league. Um, they they're they're kind of just all right with cruising along. And they're they're pro- I don't think they're gonna end up having a better record than Toronto. I think they're probably gonna finish second in the East. They're gonna rest guys here and there. They just sat Kyrie Irving for a week in December. Um they they pretty clearly want to make sure that they have everybody healthy. Um for when they get to June, because they don't, you know, the Warriors, I don't think the Warriors have much competition in the West at this point. The Cavs have literally none in the East. So for them, it's really just about making sure that they make it to June 1st healthy and are ready to go whenever they see Golden State in the finals.
1: I've, You know, I've heard you weigh in like that before, and I I definitely understand where you're coming from, but I was actually kind of curious to have you elaborate more on your cavs raptors view only from the standpoint of, I mean, history obviously tells us that you know, they, they had a relatively easy time with them in the conference finals last year. A little tougher than we thought after the first couple games, but in the end, it was it was a gentleman's sweep, so to speak. So, but, but they're deeper this year, and I look at their scores, and that's the one thing that jumps out at me is that they come at you in waves. We always think about Kyle and DeMar, and that's it, but it goes much deeper. I mean, I think I looked at it. They've got like, oh man, it's like eight or 10 guys averaging five points a game or more, which sounds like not a big deal, but you you know you have almost ten guys taking shots and who have the ability to score. I just wonder how much of a problem that poses.
0: I don't really think it poses much of one much of one at all, frankly. Um, I, I I I'm a big fan of of the Raptors as an organization. Like I think Dwayne Casey's a very underrated coach. Um, I think that uh, to, like the, the improvements that guys like DeMar DeRozan have made has been remarkable. Kyle, Kyle Lowry's a, a total bulldog of a point guard. Um, but you've already seen. Cleveland has played Toronto multiple times this year, and it's been the same thing every time, where Toronto hangs around all game and then just gets beat at the end. And I just don't think, you know, the bottom line is, the fact that the Cavs have LeBron, like, the Raptors can't overcome that in a series. Like, I, I don't even, they don't even have a guy, like, think about how close those Pacers teams came to beating the Cavs, or the Heat when, you know, Paul George, David West, Roy Hibbert group, and George Hill was going up against those Heat teams. The the Raptors don't have a player like Paul George on their team, right? Like, even Kyle Lowry, as good as he is, and DeMar DeRozan, as good as he is, those guys aren't Paul George-level players. And I just, for as nice as their team is as a group, and I do think they're clearly the second-best team in the East now, um, I, I just don't think they can, I just don't think they have that extra gear um, to beat the Cavs. Plus, the other problem is, like, I, I, if you just look across the board, I, I don't think they can guard the Cavs. Like, they like when the Cavs go small and um, and have Channing Fry out there and, and Kevin Love with you know LeBron and Jr. and, and uh, Kyrie Irving. And they've got LeBron with the ball in his hands, running those pick and rolls with all those guys on the three point line. I, I just don't think Toronto has any any capability of matching up with them like that. Um, I, I just I just think they'll run them off the court. No, that's fair.
1: That's fair,
0: and it, and I, I feel bad kind of just denigrating the Raptors. So I think Toronto is a good team. I kind of feel like they're the version of the Clippers in or the Spurs even in the West in the East. Where like I think San Antonio's a, a hell of a team, but with Tony Parker at the point and Pau Gasol at center, in the when they get in the playoffs, they're not going to be able to guard anybody. And I, I just feel like at least at the elite level, like they can they could beat some of the lesser teams, but if they have to play you know, I'm I'm not even sure the Spurs will be able to beat a team like Houston. Um, Because, I mean, I don't know who's going to, I mean, just James Harden has been unbelievable. But I think especially if they had to play the Warriors in a series, I mean, they would just so relentlessly abuse Tony Parker and Pau Gasol that I just think they'd struggle. And I do realize that people are going to hear that and go, well, they just beat the Warriors by 30 two months ago when they played. So how could you say they're not going to be able to compete with them? But I I just think, you know, as you said yourself, you know, we've seen in the past that regular season matchups don't, Really matter very much when you uh, when you get to the playoffs. And you know, for instance, I remember when I covered the Nets when the Jason Kidd year, they they swept the Heat that year. Um, they won all four times in the regular season, and then in the playoffs they lost four out of five. So, right. You know, it, I mean, that's for
1: me. That's one of the small, subtle tweaks on how I've covered the league this season compared to last season, even or or just how I have enjoyed it. Is that. Last year, I think we got sucked into a lot of regular season games that we attached a lot of substance to inaccurately, and ultimately we were wrong. Yep. And and you know the Cavs getting smoked by the Warriors in the regular season. This this is cliche, but it's true. I mean, sports is fun for a reason. It's because there's always going to be that you never know component. So yep. everything you're saying about Toronto right now makes sense. But who knows? Maybe it's shocked the world, and in the conference finals, the Cavs go down. Uh, you know, maybe the Spurs and I mean, we actually did kind of outlandish predictions at our place that I think are getting published later in the week, and I don't know which ones are going to actually make the story, but one of the ones I threw was the Spurs winning the title, which doesn't sound that crazy, but, you know, it's uh, I could see a path to it. I think uh, all the stuff you mentioned is fair, but, you know, it's uh, they're a hell of a team with a hell of a coach, and that's a pretty good combination, so... We shall see. But, uh, I mean, in, on balance, you're right about Cleveland. They're in a great spot, and they've, they've got, you know, a really good hand right now where they don't have to make too much about what happens in the regular season. They can lose to the Warriors on Christmas Day and wake up the next day not feeling like it was a step backwards in their mission. I mean, their mission is to be healthy and to be confident by the time the playoffs come around. That's about it.
0: Yep. No, and I agree. And I think some of, I, you know, it, it's funny, like, the Warriors had so many things happen to them that broke the wrong way in those finals that, you know, I, I think those games of the regular season were more indicative of the gap between the teams. But like you said, that's not necessarily the way things work out uh, when you play in the playoffs. But, uh, you know, we were just at, you know, I mentioned it earlier, but we were at that, that Warriors Clippers game. And I think that game was significant for a regular season game because, you know, the Clippers came into that game losing six times in a row to the Warriors and, you know they needed, I think, to kind of change the narrative a little bit around that franchise, and they, I think, they needed to kind of show the world that they could stay on the same court as the Warriors and compete with them, especially now that they have Durant. And instead, for my money, I thought they got embarrassed. I didn't even think Golden State played very well, and still easily beat them on their home court. Um, now Blake Griffin is out. I mean, you, you were one of the first people to report that this week that that he's going to miss, you know, the next three to six weeks with some. Arthroscopic knee surgery. Um, I I just kind of wonder, you know. I I've seen a lot of Clipper scouts. You know, Brian Winter's referenced this on the the True Pod I did with him earlier. Uh, I've seen a bunch of Clipper scouts at games this year, and you know, I, I do kind of wonder if if the next few weeks go one way or the other, either really good or really bad. I do kind of wonder if this is a team that, contrary to what we maybe thought a month ago might try to make a move in February to try to change this core around um, before these playoffs because um, otherwise they're going to have a whole lot of questions to answer um, come July if things don't go very well. Yeah, I mean, Doc's in a tough spot because that core
1: is intoxicating when it's at its best, you know what I mean? You know, with Chris and Blake and DJ and JJ, it's just a really nice core, but if you finally feel like you know that the ceiling is lower than you want it to be – then that's the time you got to make the move. But I just don't think Doc has that kind of clarity. And then you add in yet another injury with Blake where he can justifiably look back at the Warriors' loss because I think Blake's knee was bothering him as far back as that. And, and, and now, sit there, and, and he's going to have to hold his breath to find out when Blake comes back, to find out if Blake comes back at the same level. Um, but the tricky part about possibly doing a move is that it's it's my opinion it would have to be a Chris Paul thing because I think that you know Blake the odds of him sticking around are probably higher than Chris I think the odds are pretty decent of them both sticking around but Chris is the one that you look at and and specifically with the Knicks and you wonder if he wants to go play with Melo and Porzingis and those guys um, Chris is the one of the two that I think they'd probably be quicker to to try to engage with another team on. But you know you better be getting something serious in return because they still wind up winning a whole lot of games when they're
0: healthy. I feel like the Clippers are like Memphis, and in that they have a really good core, like that Memphis core has been in the last several years. Um, but I, I just don't see the upside there at this point. I don't. You see other teams starting to like. I kind of wonder if Houston is maybe better than them. They obviously aren't as good as Golden sure. State. Golden State's younger than them. And, like, basically this summer, if they if they lock into Blake and Chris and then they re-sign DeAndre next summer at the Supermax, uh, they'll be paying those three guys over $100 million a year combined. Um, I, I just I just don't – and right. you look at that team, and you're paying Chris Paul at that point from 33 to 38. You're paying Blake from 28 to 32 with a bunch of knee, knee and leg issues already. Um, I, I just, I just kind of feel like, at this point, if you look at this team, like they've had an incredible run, but unlike Memphis, which is in a small market, and you know was kind of in a spot where it's it's maybe not the worst thing to, to run it out with a really good but not great team. If you're in a, if you're in a market like Los Angeles where you can attract stars, and now the Clippers have proven to be you know a winning organization. They frankly had a lot better run of success the last few years than their, than their you know, fellow tenants at Staples Center. Um, I, you know, it just it just would be it's kind of it's going to be another the like Utah also they're going to be a really in a really interesting spot this summer because I think if they just sign up to keep all these guys together a couple of years from now they're going to be headed on a really bad trajectory with a bunch of hugely priced guys that they're not going to be able to win a lot with.
1: No, nope, I'm looking on all that, especially if you look at, and I love Chris's game, and he's having a really good year, but you've got to look at things pragmatically and the idea that point guards traditionally in their mid to late 30s are going to come off a cliff pretty quickly, so they need to think about that.
0: Especially small course, point guards, and especially small point guards who've had you know pretty significant knee issues in the past.
1: Right, you know. and Chris has been, he's logged a lot of miles, played a lot of years, so there is a pretty serious amount of wear and tear that's why I think in terms of building around players for the future, Blake's the one that they likely don't want to let get away unless there was a fantastic trade in return. And then you got DJ, who's I mean, say what you will about the limitations of his game, but he's taken steps forward you know, quite a bit in the last couple of years. So they have a tricky spot. Uh, they're going to look at it more deeply than they would have even in the past, I think, in terms of their staff. One of the interesting things that Doc had told me recently about their whole organization is that every since the Bomber came on board, they've poured some pretty serious cash into their scouting department, into the front office, and Lawrence Frank playing a heavier role alongside Doc now. So they've got plenty of good basketball minds to figure this stuff out, and a lot of big decisions coming up.
0: Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. Um, before before we go, um, are there any uh, over the next say month? Are there any uh, are there any things we haven't touched on that you're really going to be trying to focus on, um, either certain players or teams as we get closer to uh, to the trade deadline and, and kind of the middle of the season where things start to separate themselves? I mean, team wise, Memphis interests me. Um, I actually before I went to
1: Utah to jump on the Russell Westbrook train. I was going to book a trip to Memphis, where the Warriors were headed that way for that game they had recently. And admittedly, I took I kind of bailed on the trip because of the Mike Conley injury. And I remember, I remember
0: when you did that. I was with you when that happened.
1: Right, right. I think. Now, did you? I forget. Did you go to the Memphis game? I did in not. Memphis. I did yeah, not. Yeah. Okay. So I was going to go, and and then you know I doubted the Grizzlies, and they proved me wrong. And they've dropped a couple games recently, but for the most part, playing really well. I'm going to be talking to some of their people soon just about their sustained success. We have this habit in pro sports, unless you win a title, you know, it's kind of like the Clippers. You don't want to ever give the Clippers any credit because they're a bunch of losers who fall in the playoffs. That's how the fans sometimes look at them. But, you know, success, as teams like the Kings and the Jazz will tell you, Jazz in recent years, is tough to come by. And the Grizzlies, even though they haven't been able to get to the finals or win a title, it's pretty remarkable how they've reinvented themselves, and I love what's happening with them and Marcus Hall and David Fizdale challenging Mark to play differently and lead differently. So I think Memphis is a fun one to watch. like you said it is so entertaining this year. Last year they were like a whatever the what you call like a league pass non-alert, like turned the TV <laughs> off. That's how I was with the Rockets. Like uh, I just didn't want to watch James pound the ball, and now I can't watch enough Rockets basketball specifically with the trade deadline again in my backyard you know I'm curious if Rudy Gay goes anywhere and there's not that many threes who could score the ball like him who could help a team and he's got like like everybody he's got his shortcomings but Rudy yeah. a difference maker for somebody
0: I think is an interesting storyline yeah and, they, and I know I mean although you, by the way a lot of
1: interrupting you and, and no adding it's okay. addendum there just a side note that someone mentioned to me recently I thought was worth noting uh, and interesting is that, like I had reported recently, Rudy changed agents and now is represented by Rock Nation Sports. It didn't occur to me at the time, but a lot of rumblings about Oklahoma City and the Kings and Rudy possibly filling the Kevin Durant role for the Thunder. But uh, somebody kind of pointed out to me that, that safe to say that might be a little bit less likely considering the allegiances he chose agency-wise. The fact that this is now the same agency the Durant is represented by that, that. Rudy also has. I know that might sound petty to some fans, but sometimes those kinds of politics do get in the way. So I thought that was a, an interesting note.
0: No, I, I think it's true. I, I mean, I think that I think that's true. That's something to consider. What I would say is my understanding is they're still definitely interested in Rudy, and um, I, I think the Thunder are kind of the team that I'm really just focused on, uh, period. Um, you know, they. Starting, you know, last night they just lost a, a real close game to Atlanta, where, you know, Russell Westbrook had 46-11 and seven, and then also, you know, did some kind of crazy rust things down the stretch that didn't work out. It's kind of the the, the bad side of, of crazy rust for them for once. But they starting actually uh, Wednesday tomorrow. Um, I, you know, I should I should really say today, the day this podcast posts. Um, they go they're on the road for sixteen of their next twenty one games, all the way Ooh. until the end of. End of January, um, including games against San Antonio, Cleveland, Utah, Golden State, the Clippers, Memphis, Chicago, Houston, Charlotte, uh, all on the road. Um, they play Boston on the road. Like they, it's a really tough schedule against, um, and, and it's all on the road. And now I did some math earlier. Uh, so far this season, they're twelve and five against teams that are under five hundred and four and seven against teams that are at or over 500. And that's with, huh. that's with mostly a home schedule and, frankly, a yeah. pretty easy schedule. And, right. you know, I know they've had Victor Oladipo out recently, which is partly why they've kind of slumped a little bit. But, you
1: know, which this, is huge. They, As which you is know, huge. they no, can't score huge. the ball. They can't
0: score at all. Yeah. So Victor's been yeah. good for them. He shot the ball well. Um, but this is a team that's been operating even against a fairly easy schedule and with relatively good health other than – What's happened with Victor? Um, They're they're a team that operates already on the margins, and you know this. I think this next six weeks will probably end up defining their season because if they can, if they can make it through this stretch, and like right now they're sixteen and twelve. If they can come home around, say, at or over five hundred at the on February first, I think you could probably feel pretty good about them still making the playoffs. Sure. But if they go 10 and, or I guess it'd be 21 games. If they go, you know, 7 and 14 in that stretch, which I don't think it's impossible. You know, then all of a sudden you're talking about a team that starts February three games under five hundred. You know, teams like Denver and Portland, you know, probably should start playing a little better. You know, then all of a sudden maybe you get into a situation where, you know, the the Thunder are feeling a little tight at the trade deadline to maybe try to do something to stay in the playoffs. Because I think you and I both know that that team really wants to you know, not that they're gonna sell out for the eighth seed like you were joking about with the the Kings earlier, but I, th- I think that's just safe to say definitely a team that doesn't wanna miss the playoffs this year, um, you know, with Russell Westbrook and trying to, you know, take the next step after after losing Durant. So for me, they're gonna be probably the most fascinating team in the league over the next six weeks to kinda of see um where they're at and the and you know, totally it's, it's not too long after that sixteen and twenty one stretch that the Warriors Come to Oklahoma City for the first time um, and play them, and that you know it, it, it should just be a really interesting couple of months for that team.
1: That's all, Wilson. I mean, you know, you're right. They play on the margins. The talent gap is much much wider now with Kevin gone. I saw that firsthand when I was with them in Portland and Utah. And yeah, it was a rough couple know, of days I,
0: on the Russell train.
1: Oh, it was really. It was funny because like you know we talk about the cousin stuff with the media. Russ is different and, and as Royce Young said on the podcast that you were on today with the True Hoop guys, Russ doesn't ever try to physically intimidate you, but he certainly will look at you like a moron for <laughs> the question that you ask. Right. And that and that happened a lot in Portland and Utah, not with me yeah. necessarily. He was actually he was fantastic at Portland shooting around. He actually even kind of went historical context and talked about Oscar Robertson and Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan. Well then they lose to Utah and he's cranky and he did kind of bite this young woman's head off when she asked him about kicking the ball away from Damian Lillard after the game. And then in Utah, after that game, that's when he told everybody that the triple double talk was getting on his nerves. And then he didn't care about that bleep. So he got cranky, but I, you know, it's like, I also sympathized with him or for him because of what you can see that he's up against, that it takes so much out of him to get these W's, especially when all on the shelf, uh, you know, Sam Presti, still you know one of the best in the game executive wise and he's going to be shopping for something I guarantee it and, and you know we very well may be talking about a big okay scene you know by the time the deadline gets here
0: yeah I still I still think that one way or the other if if I'm the guy I'm curious to see is campaign if campaign comes back and looks healthy I would not be at all surprised if by the trade deadline he's in Sacramento and Rudy Gay is in Oklahoma City um, yeah you know you, you mentioned it you know ironically Rudy's a Baltimore guy. Uh, you know, another, you know, you know, Maryland area guy like Kevin, who's a who's a wing who could score, who's also represented now by the same agency. Um but, you know, they need they desperately need a guy like Rudy Gay. Just another guy that can space the floor, um, can play some small ball four, can score. Like I think if they could if they could swing and who can it, keep up with Russ. I mean yes. Russ and
1: Rudy on the break
0: yes. would be fantastic. Yes. I mean he you know Victor's another guy from that area, like he's you know, Victor and, and Kevin and, and Rudy are all tight like that. Like there'd be some obvious connections there, and um, you know, I, yeah. I I think that you know you're right that there are there there are plenty of there are plenty of people who detract on Rudy for a variety various things about his game, but but the guy can score. He's having and, a pretty good he's year. He's having a really yeah. good year, and, and they, I know for a fact that there was some real talks between those two teams um, back earlier in the year before C- Cameron Payne got hurt. Um, right. And that you know, there was some, you know, pain in Ilya Silva for Rudy type stuff going on. Now it's before Ilya Silva obviously got traded for Jeremy Grant. Um, so I don't know, you know, I'd, you'd have to figure out exactly what the money would be there. But I, I still think that, you know, it's depending on where Sacramento is and depending on where the Thunder are, you know, I, I definitely could see OKC trying to do something because, like I said, they want to make the playoffs and they got to find a way to get some more scoring because I, I just look at them now and... You know, Russ is – the last five minutes of these games, I mean, you saw it when you were there, even though those games weren't close. Russ is um, – Russ is, Russ is just trying – has to do everything. He's either, scoring, yeah. he's either shooting or assisting every single possession. It's crazy. Yeah,
1: his usage is through the roof. I mean, it's historic stuff in terms of usage rate. Uh, you know what's funny – not funny, but it, I guess it shouldn't surprise me. I was a little surprised when you study Russ's minutes uh, –
0: that he's not playing more, and
1: the load that he carries. Yeah, like he's 17th, I believe, last time I looked, in minutes per game. Playing like 34, you know, right? Roughly. Yeah, he's in that like 34, 35. Yeah, and and he and I say that because because he has to do so much. Those two games, like Billy Donovan will take him out with a couple minutes left in the first. It's like the Steph Curry treatment, where and then it's a couple minutes in the second, where he'll get a blow, but the blow definitely against portland is like it felt like it was six or seven minutes that felt like 30 and they ended up i think the uh, thunder were up on like nine and then by the time he comes back you know it's a 21 to 7 run by portland and you just can't survive without russ on the floor and unfortunately every time he takes a breather that seems to be happening
0: yeah no it's it's a it's a fascinating situation uh, one of many that will be interesting to watch um all right, well, Sam, appreciate the uh, appreciate the time, man. I will uh, I will look forward to seeing you in a couple hours. Before you go, though, uh, do me a favor, and uh, you know I, I don't think people need to know where to find you on Twitter. I'm sure they do if they're to this, but but tell the people some stuff you've done that they want you to that uh, you want them to check out. And I know you've got you, know, you got your own pod with our man Jay Z, Jeff Zilgit, so plug that too, so people know where to find that.
1: Thank you, buddy. This is the shameless USA Today Sports promotion part of the
0: program.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we got the podcast, which uh, honestly, I'm not saying this just because it was this week, but one of my favorite we've ever done, talked to Marcus Thompson of the Barrier News Group, a longtime friend of mine who I came up in the business with and who's covered Steph Curry and the Warriors for a long time. Jeff, my running mate at USA Today, who's kicking cancer's ass and really battling uh, – with his own personal situation that he kind of went deep talking about the passing of Craig Sager and how that hit him. So that was, it's a tough listen, but it's a meaningful listen. So the podcast and and obviously on our site on usatodaysports.com and all the other avenues, uh, just kind of uh, just keeping the conversation going, man. But thanks for having me, sir. I appreciate
0: it. Happy to do it and be sure to watch all the Sam's videos that he works tirelessly on after (laughs) games. uh...
1: One of those Tim Bontemps videos coming.
0: Uh, we'll see we'll see maybe maybe someday there'll be some videos maybe someday but for now well we'll see if there actually are but for now there's just there's just sam amick uh you know (laughs) countless hours spent perfecting videos that uh take 15 take 16 that's right make sure you make sure you do sam a favor and click on those videos and watch them so he (laughs) he feels better about himself but uh all right thanks man i appreciate you stopping by all right timmy see you man all right. That was great. Thanks to Sam for doing that. It's always fun to catch up with him. You can find me on Twitter at Tim Bontemps. You can find me on Facebook at Tim Bontemps MBA. You can find my work in the Washington Post in the hard copy if you can get a hold of that. Otherwise, look me up uh, online at the Um, You can please subscribe to the podcast and give it a five-star rating and review on iTunes and um, wherever else you, you get your podcasts. The uh, I know the ratings and reviews don't seem like they're that big of a deal, but they are. I uh, appreciate if you can do them. Um, you can also uh, go find the, mu- the music of Glenn Yoder in the Western States. Do the theme music for the podcast, which is tremendous. Uh, I've had a lot of people say they like it. Um, those guys, I've told those guys. It means a lot to them. If you like their stuff, go look it up. I've, I've seen them in concert. They're a really fun listen. Uh, I think anybody anybody who likes the theme music of the pod will definitely enjoy listening to them. Uh, so hopefully you'll check that out. Um you know, thanks as always to everybody who listened. Like I said at the beginning, hope to have another podcast on Friday, um, talking about Cavs warriors and, and running down some of the Christmas Day games. Uh, so you know, look for that. Um, in the meantime, in case that doesn't come out, have a happy holiday um, and and thanks again for listening. And also, uh, we just launched our 2016 Sports Figures of the Year series. Uh, at the Washington Post uh, just posted today a bunch of really great essays on everybody that mattered from the year this year. Um, I wrote one on LeBron James. Kent Babb wrote a terrific one on Colin Kaepernick. There were essays on uh, Simone Biles and Art Bryles and uh, the U.S. swim team and all kinds of stuff. So definitely we're checking out. I think you'll enjoy it. Um, so, you know, definitely go look that up. And like I said earlier, thanks again for listening and hope to talk to you all again soon.